All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. All right. If you if you'd like to stand, we'll we'll worship together here. <clears throat> Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my son. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my son. You are good, good, oh. You are good, good, oh, you are good, oh, you are good, good, oh. Let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails, the anchor in the waves. Oh, he is my son. Let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins, the echo of my days. Oh, he is my son. You are good, good. Oh, you are good, good. Oh, you are. between us how great the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadow those of my soul the work is finished the end is written jesus christ my living hope who could imagine so great a mercy what heart could fathom such boundless grace the God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings has called me his own. 
here for some for a, a fun announcement with the kids we'll just have the the video play <laughs> oh maybe she's out there <laughs>
as you can see, we had a lot of fun last year, a lot of fun this summer. Um, if you're a kid, put your hand up. If you're a kid and you went back to school, put the other hand up. <laughs> that was way too much work right there, wasn't it? That was a good song. I like it. Um, so today is promotion Sunday for us here at Genesis. We, it means that everybody is moving to their new grade, to their new room. We're stepping from all of our summer fun into school year fun and lots of learning. Um, so I'm going to pray and then I'm going to let these kids go and you can see how many of them there are because there's a lot of friends with us today. Um, kids, this one's for you. You ready? All right, Lord, I pray that you would be with us this coming school year, that you would teach these kids who you are, that they would know you, that they would know how much you love them, that they would learn more and more and more about you, that they would make great friends here that would encourage them um, this year and all through their life. I pray that you'd be with our teachers, Lord, that you would speak through them, that your truth would be shared every week. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so kids, listen up. If you are in kindergarten or first grade, you are going to come line up at this door with Miss Chris. Got middle schoolers who want to go back in time. All my kindergartners and first graders are going this way. <laughs> if you are a second or third grader, you're going back to that door where Miss Katrina is standing. Miss Katrina's waving at you. Second and third graders are going to that door over there. Third and fourth graders are going to this middle door. All my middle schoolers are going to that back door or go find yourself. <laughs> Ready? Go. Some of them really needed all the directions. Hmm? Fourth and fifth graders are going straight out the back. So K1, two, three is on the right or your left. Four, five is in the middle. Middle school, you're following these guys. High school, middle school or high school. That means if you are left with us, you are an adult or a high schooler who really likes to sit in church, which is also fabulous. Okay, so I have more for you. Um, really quick recruiting. You saw all of our fun. If the fun catches you, this is the place to have it. Let me know. I'd love to put you to work. If the fun is not the motivation for you, I have others. So, Jesus said, let the children come to me, and he said, train them in the way they, they should go. So if that motivates you, if you're like, hey, this is our job, right? We're supposed to be here teaching the children about Jesus and to follow Jesus. I'll take you to. And um, the third reason to work in the garden or the children's ministry is because it will grow you. It will grow you in your creativity, your patience, your commitment, your relationships, your connection, and your knowledge as you prepare and teach. I had somebody say to me last week, I mean, I didn't, I, I, I don't feel like I know enough. When you prep a lesson and you have to teach it, you will learn and grow right along with the kids. So 
We are mostly staffed for this year with fabulous, fabulous volunteers. We, exactly. Um, and we could use a few more people for second, third grade, fourth and fifth grade. Nope, second, third grade and middle school. Those are fun ages. So come see me after, come grab calendars after, and I don't know who I'm giving the microphone to. I'm putting it back. Okay, have a fabulous Sunday. And kids, all right, do one more if you'd like to stand. We haven't done this one in, in a while. It's a good one. Um, love lifted me. Let's sing that chorus together. despairing cry from the waters lifted me how safe am I love lifted me love lifted me when nothing else could help love lifted me me, love lifted me, when nothing else could have, love lifted me, all my heart I to him I give, ever to him I'll cling, in his blessed presence live, ever to praise his Love so mighty and so true Merits my soul's best songs Faithful, loving service to To Him belongs Love lifted me Love lifted me When nothing else would help love lifted me when I
nothing else would help love lifted me all right you guys can have a seat Hello, good morning, church. Welcome to Genesis. My name is Bethany. Please take a moment to let us know that you're here by either filling out the digital connection card on our website or the physical green card in your pew. If you're new to Genesis, you can text new to Genesis, no spaces, to 94000 if you would like to get the text communications and reminders. We have the 2023 budget available for the community to affirm. So we're gonna do that right now. Andrew and Bo are gonna pass out slips so you can write down if you wanna affirm our budget today. Today's the day. We wanna change the world through creating spaces of belonging, through helping individuals identify and develop their calling and through taking action for the good of others. You can place your physical green card, your paper ballots, and your offering in the wooden box at the back of the sanctuary. Thank you to all who give online or through text. We are a nonprofit and we function through the gifts of this community. If you can remember your first time coming to Genesis or the new first day of school, things like that, it can be nerve wracking or you just wanna be accepted. So we want to create a place of belonging. You are welcome here, you belong here. We are happy you are here. So we are looking to find people who want to do hospitality. We have people making coffee and we have people welcoming at the door. We have greeters because sometimes a smile goes a long way. That first day of school, I remember my first day at public school and I thought people were gonna throw me in the dumpster having come from a private school. And instead this random person came up and hugged me and I'm like, I could do this. That's okay, okay, this won't be so bad. I don't know this person, but a stranger hugged me. So if you wanna be that, fat, that face, the smiling face, doing the Lord's work with your coffee, because I think we're all kinder and better when we have our coffee, or if you'd like to be at the front door welcoming people in and creating that space of belonging, then this might be for you. If you'd like to be if you'd like to give it a try, you'd like to say hi to people, you'd like to welcome people in and create that space of belonging, you can either check the box on your green card or on your, your digital card, or you can text Jenna or email. You can email her at jenna.genesisthechurch at gmail.com. You're welcome here. We are glad you are here this morning. So you can take a moment now and say hi, meet someone new, welcome someone in.
Well, good morning. Welcome again to Genesis. My name is Bo. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad you're here. Before I um, share with you guys what we got going on today, I want to pass this mic to Ed. Ed said he had something he just wanted to tell everybody. And so, Ed, I'm going to hand you this microphone so that you can share with us. So often, um, I miss what God's trying to tell me. And I want to tell you about a few incidents and events over the last six weeks, which culminated in my being in the emergency room last weekend, the whole weekend. Really stunk, but um, he had a message for me. So about the beginning of August, I experienced a neurologic issue. I was talking to my business partner, and we were talking about exciting things like inventory management and procurement, and all of a sudden, my words were gone. I, I couldn't find the words I wanted to say, and I struggled. And for about, I don't know, three or four minutes, that went on. And I finally went and sat down and got back up and I came back to her and I said, this is what I was trying to say. And I later explained to her that I'd had an issue with my heart several years ago. I'd have heart surgery and I had cholesterol issues, but that I, I'm vegan and I don't have those cholesterol issues anymore. So I don't know what that was about. But he put in my head the very thought, you need to go see a neurologist, right? So a couple weeks later, I'm talking to her and her son, and they both say to me, why are you slurring your words? And I'm like, I'm not slurring my words. But again, he said, pay attention. So um, the Thursday before Labor Day, my friend came down with COVID and it came down with a really bad headache and she needed to go to the emergency room and she called me at like midnight and we went to St. Joe's up in Pontiac and as I sat there, you know, we were there for about four hours and there wasn't a lot of people there, but I'm exposed to, you know, all this help and all these people. So the next day, uh, after a, a long morning nap, um, I'm making some food in the kitchen. And he knocks on my door again. This part of my arm goes numb. And it was like it was asleep, but I hadn't laid on it. I hadn't, you know, rested on it or anything. That, that feeling radiated down my arm and then back up to my shoulder, down my back, up my chin, into my face. And I thought, okay, if this gets to my leg, I'm calling 911, but it didn't. You know, this is a, this is a man thing to do, right? You know, I, I think I can get away with this. So, um, but I had to take this food to my friend's house and I went by St. Joe's and as I'm going up there, I'm thinking, you know what? Really, I need to stop there because I need a neurologist and the quickest way to get a neurologist is to go to the ER. And so I did. And, you know, they, when you go into the ER with a head issue or a heart issue, you go to the front of the line unless you're in an ambulance. 
and um, they got me into a CAT scan. They could see the CAT scan was negative. They wanted to do an MRI, and I'm like, well, can't I just go home? You know, it's it's you know 10 o'clock at night. Can't I just go home? No, you can't go home. And they had a neurologist come in to me and say, the next time this happens, you could lose your sight. You could lose your you could be paralyzed, whatever. Okay, I'll, I'll stay. Well, <laughs> the hospital was full because it was Labor Day weekend. And um, I waited until Sunday night to get an MRI. Now, St. Joe's is a nice hospital, all single rooms. It's a great place to go if you have to be in the hospital. <laughs> but um, on, on Monday morning, after all this and all these tests and everything's negative and they don't, you know, they still don't know what the problem is, they don't want to let me go. They don't, they do not because they don't want something to happen that they haven't diagnosed yet. So they sent in another neurologist who's part of their big medical practice group. And that guy, he just wowed me. I mean, it was like the Lord sent this guy. I mean, he, the Lord did send this guy in. And um, he said, look, I'm gonna be your primary care doctor because my primary care doctor is up north. I'm gonna be your neurosurgeon, I'm gonna, or neuro, uh, neurologist. I'm gonna get you a neurosurgeon. We've got, there's an aneurysm in your head we need to have somebody look at. So I'm filled with appointments and it's all because the Lord has something yet for me to do and I know it. And I just want you to, I, I mean, for me, this is, I know when he's talking to me, I don't always pay attention and I don't always hear. And I always think, okay, I can do that later. <laughs> he didn't want me to wait. So anyway, praise the Lord. Just wanted to share that with you. Thank you. Thank you. So let's pray for Ed, right? When you get told you have an aneurysm in your head, that's, um, that probably will stop you in your tracks a little bit. And so, church, would you stand? Uh, if you know Ed, you love Ed, and you want to come near and put a hand upon him, certainly do, right? If you've had an aneurysm in your head before and you want to come near, I know it's, this is a thing that people have. So let's pray. So, Father one, we recognize your goodness. Even in the midst of not paying attention, you know, of all of our intricacies, you're good. Thank you for the care that you have given Ed. Oh, thank you for the doctor who took notice. Thank you for that prognosis. Thank you for the hope that you've placed in him and not the fear, but the hope you've put in him and in this revelation, he could say, oh, I have an aneurysm and I'm praising you, Lord, because you've revealed it. And so, Lord, we do, um, we pray and we ask, uh, we know that Ed is yours, his body is yours, your brain is yours, so have your way, Lord. And say aneurysm be gone in the name of Jesus. Be pleased to bring your healing upon Ed and sustain him and sustain all the others in this room who have received bad news about their bodies. Lord, come and bring your hope and your health and your goodness, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Amen. So if you don't know Ed, I mean, you hear his story, right? He's having all these symptoms and yet he's like, well, I got to take some food to a friend and Someone calls me at midnight, and I'm going to take them to the hospital and stay with them. If you, want Ed, if you want Ed's cell phone number, you should get it. He seems to be a guy to call. I'm glad I've got it. Uh, so I want, today, September the 10th, 
On this morning, I want to share, uh, I was reading a book by Jamie Winship, and he says this, there's three great mysteries. There's three great mysteries, and this is from his book, Living Fearless, but you got to pay attention to these mysteries. Like Ed was kind of saying, even in that, he was like, oh, I sometimes struggle to pay attention. And the three great mysteries are this. The first one is this, the mystery of God and his universe. Number two, the mystery of you. And number three, the mystery of others. And I put a little prayer next to each of these mysteries, the three great ones that exist. Like almost a prayer that would open us up to, to the mysterious, to the beautiful. The great mystery of God and his universe, that prayer is as simple as, God, teach me something about you and your universe that I don't know. I invite you to pray it. The mystery of you, the prayer could be as easy as this. God, teach me something about myself that I do not know. And I invite you to pray it. In the mystery of others, God, teach me something about someone else that I do not know. What's so beautiful and so interesting, or how about I frame it this way, the problem is that most of us, with me included, we don't care about these mysteries. Or we're not paying attention, it could be, to these mysteries when we're living in what we'd call the false self. That can be described that we have these false ideas about who we are ourselves that shape our identity. And these false ideas are usually framed by Um, My identity comes from what I have or what I don't have. My identity comes from what I know or what I don't know, from what I do or what I don't do, or from who I know or who I don't know. Like these identities around what we do, what we have, what we perform, and we, we shape our being around these things, and they create a falseness in us. And when we're driven and we're living under that falseness, we seem to lose all the attention to the greater mysteries the greater mysteries of God, the greater mystery of even ourselves and the mysteries of others. So today, I I want to open my eyes and be attentive to the greater mysteries and I wanna invite you to do the same. Nate has been saying to set our attention to that, to the mysterious. And when it comes to things of mysteries, they have to be revealed. There is an awakening. There's an aha. There's a moment of realization. And God is the one who takes what is hidden and makes it known. And he does it saying, those who want to hear will hear. Those who knock, those who ask, I'll open up things unseen for you. And so, today is about the mysteries and us being open to the mysteries of God, ourselves, and others. Now, when I look at, when I open this text for you today, you're going to be like, what? That's not about that. But I want to encourage you and challenge you. This story today is absolutely about that. If we make it about something else, we're going to miss it. 
We're looking at a teaching of Jesus in Matthew. Oh, one more thing about this, about this, this idea of mystery. And Jamie, kind of in his book, Fear, uh, Living Fearless, which is a, it's all over the place, but it's really interesting. If you don't know who he is, you should look him up and listen to one of his teachings. He's just a really, really interesting follower of Jesus. But he says, when it comes to mysteries, he said that absolute love, unconditional love, absolute love is our motivation behind these mysteries. And we can explore these mysteries of God, ourselves, and others because love always allows us to receive without fear. And so when we live in this anchored life of fear of what we have, don't have, no, don't know, we, we, we can't even engage the mysteries because we must live in this certainty of, of all things. But absolute love drives us into the mysteries. And so, Father, who is absolute love, unconditional love, incarnate, open our eyes to your mysteries of you and of ourselves and others and let fear not stop us. Amen? Okay, so the text for today is in Matthew 18. It's a teaching of Jesus. We're going to start just with the text and sort of mid-chapter in Matthew 18. We're following a set of readings, a three-year cycle that goes through the scriptures, and this was the designated gospel teaching for the day. This is in Matthew 18, and Jesus is teaching his disciples, and it goes like this. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you can say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Now, as you read this in here, you're saying, how is this about mystery? But I think this text is all about the mystery of God and God teaches him about himself, mysteries about ourselves and about others. But in overarching context, it's about conflict. It's about conflict with others. So let's set up some context. This is right in the middle. This is Jesus speaking about relationships. So often when we read the scriptures and Jesus, so many things that we can even frame of saying, this is about how to get to heaven or, or about the afterlife. This has nothing to do with the afterlife. This has everything to do with living in this world right now and our relationships. So a little bit of context. And that's like, what's before this teaching and what's behind it? When we read, when we read stories of Jesus, it always helps us to look a little bit in the different spots from it. And so this is in the middle of 18. But 
in the chapter before this, Jesus takes three of his disciples up on a mountain, and all of a sudden, Jesus is transfigured before them, but Jesus only takes three, leaves the other nine behind, and goes up in this mountain, has this amazing experience with the three. When Jesus comes down from the mountain, all of his disciples are there, and they're fighting with the crowd because they could not cast a demon out of a little boy who was suffering. And at the end of it, they said, Jesus, why couldn't we cast this demon? And they said, because you have so little faith. Because you didn't have enough faith. So they have this conflict, or they're fighting with other people. They're wondering why they can't do it. Then all of a sudden, a tax collector grabs Peter, and it's like, uh, just, and he's a temple tax collector for the temple, for the religious things. And it's like, oh, does, does Jesus pay his taxes? And do you? And Peter's like, uh, I, 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 yeah. And then he goes to Jesus, and Jesus is like, hey, who... When people are collecting taxes, do they go to their sons and daughters or do they go to the people who are conquered? And it's like, oh, we go to the people who are conquered. And it says, no, you're not conquered, you live as free people. So it's being confronted with these systems of people who are treating them like they're conquered. Immediately after that, Jesus says at the beginning of this chapter that his disciples come to him and they're asking this question, who's the greatest? You know that if you're, now you understand all that's happened just before this. Three of them went up on the mountain with Jesus, and I know others weren't allowed to go. A group of them couldn't cast out a demon. Jesus says, yeah, your faith's so little. They got different people pressing them to pay taxes, and now they're wrestling over who's the greatest. Do you think that maybe some of their relationships had a little bit of strife in them? Think they had a little bit of conflict with each other? I doubt that any of those disciples actually thought they were the greatest, but typically when you get into a conversation of the greatest, it's not usually that you think you're the greatest, you just absolutely know they're not, right? And, and anytime you make it aware, well, I mean, I'm not the greatest, but you for sure are not. That's when typically offenses happen because you usually have a number of reasons why they're not. And it's usually helpful to be very specific. Very helpful in creating offenses and hurting each other and wounding each other and belittling each other. And so they come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, who's the greatest? Because already this is, this is just where they are. This is where they're wrestling. They're living out of these false identities and the greater mysteries are hidden from them. As they're sitting um, in this Jesus then teaches them and says, hey, turn from your sin. This, this way that you're living when you will go against the grain of love. Turn from that and become like little children. Become humble. He invites them to live a life of welcome. Of welcoming others. He, he then teaches them, says, don't cause others to sin. So he's teaching them in their relationships with others. He's like, oh man, be like children. You're, you're going the wrong way. But, but one thing for sure, don't let your life trip up other people. Don't take other people down with you. If you know that you're doing that, you, you cut off your hand if it's, if it's causing you to sin and others. Cut off, gouge out your eye. It goes into these extreme measures. It says it'd be better for you than to cause a little one to stumble and to fall away from me. It'd be better for you just to tie a heavy stone around your neck and, and jump into Lake Michigan than it would for you to cause a little one to stumble. 
So don't cause people to stumble. And then he tells this story about a hundred sheep and one of them wandering off and getting it wrong and going on the way who's lost. And he says, oh, wouldn't the shepherd go after the one who's lost and has it wrong and has all these crazy ideas that somehow they've gotten it wrong about the mysteries of God or the mysteries of themselves or the mysteries of others? Because that's usually what these ideas of sin and brokenness that we apply to other people undermine. That's the context that Jesus has just gone into before he teaches this. He says, boy, if you're, I, we, don't let those ones go off in those ideas. I go after and I search for them. A great example of this is in Galatians chapter 2. You can read about it in context. One of the pillars of the church was a guy named Peter. Peter is hanging out with a group of people who are trusting and believing in Jesus. This is after Jesus has died and rose from the dead. He's eating with them. He's hanging out with them. They're non-Jewish people. This was a big deal in the day. They're wrestling through this stuff. Peter is hanging out. He's eating they're learning and they're growing with each other. But then all of a sudden, some really like, really religious Jewish people who trust in Jesus show up too. And all of a sudden, Peter no longer, no longer eats with those people who weren't Jewish anymore. And then all of a sudden, all the people who show up with Peter begin to not eat with them. What do you think that, be, that begins to tell them and the people around them? think that undermines God's love for them, when all of a sudden, these, these people who are following Jesus immediately says, now we, we can't actually eat with you. You're not really Jewish. You haven't been circumcised. You're not doing all the right things. You haven't, you haven't done the right things. You don't have the right pedigree. And so Paul, who was another follower of Jesus, says this. He goes, I confronted Peter in front of everybody. Because he knew that Peter and these other people were causing other people to stumble, to go against the grain of love. Because, what, because these ideas of God were being misconstrued, that they were no longer welcomed by God, that they needed to perform or look or do something different to be welcomed by God instead of just trusting in Jesus. That's the context of this. And now... Jesus steps in and he begins to teach them. He's been teaching them about not causing others to stumble. He's been teaching about these issues. But now in this one, he is saying, all right, someone in your family, in your community, they hurt you. They sin against you. They do this. What do you do? Jesus is talking about relationships because he, he cares about them. So in this text, my, here's my encouragement, and because today we're going to move into discussion, and our discussion time will be anchored in this mystery of what God wants to teach us about himself that we can see within this text, that God wants to teach us about ourselves that we can see in this text, and that God wants to teach us about others, about mysteries that God wants to illuminate. This story is about conflict. I want to read one more, one more. But as I say, the story is about conflict. It's also about reconciliation and restoration. Because we have to ask the question, why does Jesus teach this to us? Because it's not that he just wants us to do everything right. He cares about our relationships with one another and our relationships with him. 
I'm going to read another version of this story. This is from a version called The Message. This was a pastor and a theologian and a teacher called Eugene Peterson, who he had a small church. I think it was in Oregon. And he was like, he just knew how, how much the people struggled to have a common language to understand the teachings of Jesus in the scriptures. So he, he wrote this version. So this is what he wrote of that same text. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell them. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. If he still won't listen, tell the church. That word means like the gathering. The, the Greek term was ekklesia. Now, when Matthew wrote and when Jesus said it, there was no such thing as um, the church as we have it today. Right? The church was made up of Jewish people in synagogues. It was made up of households. There was little gatherings in homes. So it's like, tell the family. Pull the family in. If you won't listen to this church, to the gathering, to the ecclesia, to the household, you'll have to start over from scratch. Confront them with the need for repentance and offer, God's, offer again God's forgiving love. Take this most seriously. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. What you say to one another is eternal. I mean this. When two of you get together on anything at all on earth and make prayer and make a prayer of it, my Father in heaven goes into action. And when two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure that I'll be there. A couple of things before we break into groups, because I want us to have some, some time to process today. In this, we get to see what Jesus cares about. But that question is what you have to wrestle with. Why does Jesus care about this? What is it? Because it's not about how to get to heaven, but it's about how to live in God's household, be a part of God's family. Our relationships matter. How we live here and now with each other matters. But this text and all these before it says, we are going to hurt each other. This is going to happen. This is what we learned about each other. We're going to hurt each other. So first and foremost, it says, go to the person. I think Jesus is trying to correct the most simple thing that majority of us do. Like, don't pull in other people. Don't triangulate. Don't, don't go to somebody else and tell them all the bad things that someone else did to you and ask for their opinion. Go to the person who has hurt you and go to them and say, hey, here's what's happened here. I felt... Go to them. Don't gossip. Don't slander. Go to them if you can. That's the invitation. Because these relationships matter. Go to them. Go to them and talk it out. Share what specifically happened and how you felt and be open to their feedback. This is not about accusing or condemning. And sometimes their feedback is going to be highlighting something you potentially did that hurt their feelings, and they're responding to that, and now all of a sudden it's coming out here. That's okay. All right, that's okay. It's going to come. Welcome it. But go to them. Resolve it. This, now, they don't listen. Jesus goes on and says, well, take two more with you. And then it's like, okay, if they didn't listen, then take 
the gathering. Has anyone ever experienced this teaching in, in an organizational life of a church? Anybody seen this played out? Where that got kind of played out organizationally, institutionally? A lot of times when it does, it's ugly. Jesus isn't talking about organizations here. He's talking about families. And when I read it sometimes, I, it feels like it's escalating. It's like if they don't listen, you grab two more people to get on your side, go to them and tell them they're wrong. It's escalating. If they don't listen, then you grab 10 people. This is not bullying, teaming up, ganging up, bludgeoning. This is about pulling people into the land to, to, to de-escalate, to listen, to observe. And so when you're grabbing two more, it's not to escalate it. I love what Eugene Peterson, Peterson says. It's like, take two more so they can listen. They can hear. They can, they can share their insights in order to help. And if they don't listen, grab the family. We need help. But in the end, it does say that there can be, we, can, we can struggle to, to have resolution and treat them. And the wrestle here, when you read between the message version and the other, is like, what does it mean to treat someone like a corrupt tax collector and a pagan? Well, I know it doesn't mean to hate them and to be cruel to them and to never sit with them and to be around them because Jesus was known to be with these people all the time. But it certainly means that there could be boundaries, especially if somebody has a pattern of doing something that's harmful and hurtful to the family, to other people. Absolutely boundaries. And so this is not a text without teeth. But in the end, I think it teaches us some mysteries about what God cares about, where God is, and about ourselves and others. One final thing. Jesus does invite us to loosen people in forgiveness. And, and next week, we're going to see the following text right after this, because it's about Jesus reminding people about how often they should forgive. Amanda's going to be teaching us about that. In verse 19 and 20 of this text, in the total context of this confrontation, Jesus says this. When two or three are gathered, and this whole context is about conflict and brokenness and sin against each other and hurting each other, Jesus says, I'm with you. Jesus isn't just with the winners. Jesus is just the, with the ones who are like, oh, I'm, I'm the victim, and the one who's the sinning is not with them. No, Jesus is saying, I'm with you, the two or three who are gathered here. That's the person who's done the offense, and that's the person who's been offended against. I'm with you. And he had to ask that question, why is Jesus telling us this? Jesus said that he is the exact representation of the Father. And anytime Jesus says, this is where I am, this is where you can find me, we're learning something about God. And potentially, we're learning something about ourselves and what we need. He is with us. We can go to each other, and we can leave the outcomes to the Lord. So now here's what we're going to do. That's my at least sort of set up in some context. We're going to invite you guys into this mystery into this conversation about the mysteries of God, about the mysteries of yourselves and others. And we have some facilitators who are set up to help with this conversation. And so if you're new to Genesis, you popped in, we, we just kind of gather around uh, a pocket of people. So I have some leaders. So would the facilitators stand up wherever you are? 
and more than likely you've got somebody near you. And we just kind of pull next to them. They've got five questions that they're gonna lead us through. We try to take about 20 minutes to do this. And then after we do that, we take communion at these tables as that small pocket of people. So, so what you want you to do, and again, you don't have, you can just sit there and listen and you don't have to answer any of the questions out loud, but we, we invite you to, because when you share your perspective, we're learning about others and this beautiful mystery of you. When you share your perspective and when you share the things that you see and that are highlighted and that jump out to you, we all benefit. So we invite you um, that if you would like, please share your perspectives around that. It's totally open. No one's going to correct you. No one's going to say you're wrong. Um, This is a chance for us to learn from each other. And so you've got a leader here. So I want to invite you right now, like like eight people around a person. If there's too many in one group, I will. And so Ryan is doing a group back there in the red shirt. So he's just not standing behind that camera. And we've got Ben, and we've got Julia, and we've got Ed, we've got Jill, we've got Maddie, and we have Sandra here, and we have Liv there in the back. So if you can, pull together with the leader, with the facilitator, and they're, they're going to engage this conversation with you right now. So move close to someone in a small pocket. Okay, so we got Sandra, we got Ed. 